This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Into the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 162 here in the den. Nick Max and Noah Grant here to bring you this week's episode recording on Monday, May 15th, just after 8 o'clock in the evening. We are right in the middle of the Dallas Stars Seattle cracking game. So, of course, they will be uh in some ways part of our extra ice session. Essentially, we're gonna try to take a, as best of a look as we can into the third round, the conference finals for the NHL playoffs. Soon there will be only four teams by the time this show comes out on Tuesday. So um and it's interesting, we'll get to this a little bit later, but in the East, at least, I believe it would only be the second Stanley Cup final appearance for either of those clubs, whichever one makes it out of it would be. Yes. the conference final. Of course, Carolina yep. won for one in their appearances, and Florida yet to win a Stanley Cup final game in their franchise history. So, been a while um, since they've been back, 27 years, but... Yeah, no kidding. Um yeah, what a year though. 96 can't go wrong, right? Uh, <laughs> although maybe maybe my parents did. That's another story. Um, with, with, oh God. With that being said, though, uh, of course, other things we're going to talk about a very abbreviated Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. We're going to talk a little bit about some NCAA player moves. The Huskies actually making a couple more transfer additions this week as well. The USHL playoffs wrapping up in the next week and a half. The Fargo Force in a dogfight to say the least uh, for yeah. them. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, NHL playoff recap for the the second round some more nhl awards as well coming out so we'll touch on three more uh finalist groups that come out and then kind of our big topic that we're going to follow in conjunction with the nhl playoffs here uh the men's worlds have been underway and they've brought some really good hockey actually so they have, uh, yes. pr- pretty good in turn uh tournament to watch so far so we start as always with center ice news and notes in the huskies illustrated weekly round Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Illustrated Weekly Roundup here, Noah, and I'm going to throw a curveball in on you first because I know we have a couple of things to talk about, but uh, tomorrow's a big day for uh, the game of hockey and the NHL. Do you remember what that day is, Noah? Yeah, uh, it will be the Tempe voting. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, so it's mail and drop-in ballots. Uh, apparently so far, the, the responses have been, I, I guess, quite positive in terms of the numbers. Uh, again, we don't know there, there's really any early release of, of the results, but uh, the last date of vote is tomorrow. So the 16th is when the cutoff time, which means 
more than likely with 36 to 48 hours, now we may have um, either some really good news for the NHL and the city of Tempe or some really, really bad news for both the <laughs> NHL um, and the Arizona Coyotes, right? As they Not, uh, not that that's ever happened for that franchise. No. Or- and if you're Glendale, I wonder if you can only vote once. Let's see. So <laughs> throw Phoenix in that mix too. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine just like suitcases of drop ballots? Uh, it hasn't happened in Arizona too, by the way. Um, in oh, other yeah. elections, you sound like a certain political party in an election I a know. couple years ago. But anyway, um, still an election anyway. So uh, <laughs> on to real news uh, that is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not the fake or totally oh. reviewed. Okay. Um, and this actually, speaking of you know teams and their futures, uh, how about this? Um, We've been talking the past couple of weeks, Noah, about how the Ottawa Senators have generated more, shall we say, celebrity interest in purchasing the team, right? And a name that we've talked about more than enough has been Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Now, apparently, he's out. And this is a bit of a surprise, right? Um, So... uh, I guess that he negotiated or was trying to negotiate uh, an exclusive window to finalize the deal. And, and essentially it was declined. I, I'm, I'm sure it was probably a judge's ruling or whatever it was. Um, so the, the deadline for any interested party to file a bid was today on Monday. And apparently Ryan Reynolds and his group uh, will no longer be in the falls. That leaves us with the weekend. And then another group that's got Snoop Dogg in the mix. Okay, from yeah. What we know, um, uh, Still a lot of interest there, but you kind of wonder um, with Ryan Reynolds again, very big advocate for the game of hockey, um, whether that has an impact on anything. It probably won't, but yeah, I was w- NHL marketing. They're probably like, damn it. And they're probably scratching out a few ideas. So. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, you know, in some ways, maybe the safest option, just kind of known commodity yeah. with ownership before. I think, I mean, the Ottawa centers are valued, valued at just over $800 million and his offer was just North of 1 billion. So um kind of curious to see that that unfolded the way that it did. It sounds like that group kind of w- wanted to make a push to be the group though, and really kind of finalize that deal and kind of like an under the table backdoor kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's not going to work. You know, and I think for the NHL and the Ottawa Senators, and maybe neither group anticipated this, including maybe Ryan Reynolds' group, uh, the anticipation of how much interest and how much celebrity notoriety this is getting. I mean, like we talked about, this is going to be a great problem for the NHL and the Senators and, of course, the Melnick uh, family who is going to move on from this organization. But, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of uh, May 16th apparently is an important day for a variety of reasons. Let's just put it that way. So. Yeah, very much so. So we'll uh, we'll keep everybody up to date, of course, uh, once we know uh, whether um, the other two groups did formally submit a bid and ultimately who wins that bid and mm-hmm. who will become the next owner of the Ottawa Senators. And, and uh, the, the other thing, too, I could just to throw it out really quickly. They might not be the only two bids here. We might have another that's one thing, that's right? laying in there that we have no idea. So. Yeah, I mean, the Washington Commanders got sold, so there's that. So <laughs> They should be torn down, but that's they, another conversation. Well, I mean, I think you got to wonder, too, and aside, you know, small tangent there, I would think the new ownership um, probably has their eyes set to tear down FedEx Field more, you know, as quickly as they can. That's it's a it's a literally spilling crap, you know, not literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, speaking that, of that, that's what I was going to say, though. I was like, would you rather play at Mullet Arena for 10 years or play at FedEx Field for one season? Like actual question. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> the fact that I'm even contemplating this tells you something. Uh, no, it's definitely Mullet Arena because at least it's new and it's not. Uh, yeah, I've got yeah. leak problems. Anyway, um, speaking of leaks, uh, what did leak out earlier this week uh, was that the Philadelphia Flyers have, uh, shall we say, hired some front office folks, one being uh, a former broadcaster and 
shall we say, former Philadelphia Flyer player himself. That's Keith Jones. He is the new president of hockey operations. And in a surprise to nobody, they did remove the interim tag for now official GM Daniel Briere uh, to be the uh, now permanent general manager for Philadelphia this coming again last Thursday. Um, I like the moves. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of raves about Daniel Briere when he took over as interim GM. Uh, he's got a tough job ahead of him. Let's, let's put it slightly. Uh, but Keith Jones, uh, I mean, a guy that you know, didn't have, shall we say, the most illustrious NHL career, but really brought a name to himself in the broadcast world. He knows the game of hockey, great communicator, uh, president of hockey operations. This is a great fit, I think, for the Philadelphia Flyers. He spent the majority of his career with the Flyers as a player. Um, so this is good. Um, and again, now that you know, they're on the clock, right? They got the draft coming up here uh, in a couple of weeks, and uh, they're going to have to start rebuilding a franchise that, uh, quite frankly, you know, Wild uh, General Manager pretty much you know blew the blank up. So uh, lots of work to do, and they definitely have their hands full. You know, the only negative thing to come out of this is that uh, you know all the network affiliates lose a really good analyst of the game, yeah. right? I mean, Keith Jones has been a main staple. Uh, you know, in a broadcast booth, I think just what he has brought to the table, the way that he's able to articulate the game and his delivery, you know, as a color commentator, especially is very kind of meat and potatoes straight to the point, things that you would want to know about the game of hockey. And he makes it palatable for people that one know the game, but two people that also don't know the game and a great ambassador for the sport. So very curious to see how he performs in this role. Of course, we've seen moves like this before speaking with the aforementioned Ottawa senators and Pierre Maguire, who has fallen off the face of the earth apparently. But uh, um, yeah, uh, I, I would say that, you know, if, if you want to compare um, the, the, let's just say the outlooks were already not great for Pierre Maguire when he was hired in that role. Um, and yeah. I'm not trying to be personal, you know, yeah, I am. I, I imagine the success for Keith Jones might be a little bit might longer lived. I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah. Real quick, though, uh, yeah. because you mentioned Philadelphia, uh, you know, you talk about the uphill battle that they do face again in a stacked metropolitan division. Um, holy cow. Uh, so they do have a first round pick, no second round pick two-thirds, two fourths. So they got a lot of late uh, round picks. They have two mm-hmm. first round picks next year's draft. But I mean, really, when you look at their prospect pool when you look at their players coming to development there's not a ton there Um, i'm just i'm just surprised let's circle back you mean chuck fletcher actually held on to his first rounder before he was canned that's a uh (laughs) they probably had to lock him in a room and throw away the key to do it but yeah because i mean remember you know marty havlott and uh who am i missing was it who was who was Uh, in that trade uh more productive than marty hansel uh jones right was it right? white white wasn't it right uh, white yes right yeah. white yeah that's right that was the sweeter to get the first round pick what a what a sad story marty hansel's finish his career was by the way when he went to dallas and then ended up having a bunch of those injury issues by the way people don't talk yeah. about that often unfortunately um no because he was also injured when he was with minnesota right mm-hmm. uh and he yeah. actually i don't did he play a playoff game? Or if he did, it was one or two. I can't remember. But. He played it. I thought he played a couple, but then it's like, like he really basically just hardly didn't play after that year. I Pretty mean, it much. was, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, speaking of the central division though, Nick, yeah. um, second to last topic here, the Chicago Blackhawks have sold $2.5 million of season tickets within hours after winning the draft lottery last watch, week. Watch they pick Adam Fentelli. That'd be yeah. <laughs> Or, you know, the other thing too is, and people have talked about this quite humorously, but it is a legitimate thing, AKA Eric Lindros. 
Um, whoever is drafted by Chicago does not have to play for the Chicago Blackhawks. True. Um, Yeah, it is is a thing. It Um, is a thing. Um, I can't imagine Connor Bedard not wanting to go there. Um, But then again, we don't I don't know. Right. But, you know, that that's true. I mean, you can be drafted and say, screw you. I mean, what what what, the most recent one probably that made was a probably Jimmy VC probably Mm -hmm. uh, that made, shall we say, the most news about. Yeah, about uh, that situation. Um, again, Jimmy VC, former first round pick himself, if I recall, mm-hmm. uh, but he's also not a generational talent. Um, to me, they're, they're you know, I, I think they're two different personalities. Um, but at the end of the day, right, he still has to sign the dotted line, and just because you're a draft pick uh, doesn't mean you have to. So there is that chance. Uh, but to me, that's more you know, <laughs> just yeah. a little bit of slight talk. I, I just can't see him. Plus. Chicago's got the cap space, so he can get paid whatever the heck he wants and uh, don't have to worry about it. So, do you again, think? Do you think the contracts actually still have dotted lines, or do you think that's changed? It's why a do we, small line now. I say, why, I say, why do we, why do we say that phrase? Was that like a big thing back in the seventies and eighties? Like, so if, if I don't know for for a fact, but if I'm gonna guess, remember things. This thing called a typewriter. It I have really, one actually. It didn't. If you recall, that there's not a button on there for a solid line. Oh so I yeah, so you got to create your own. Oh. Create your own with like little, you know, gaps in between. That's my guess. Yeah. Well, they don't. You mean they don't do their contracts with whiteout now? It doesn't look like a child took a five year old, you know, cram. I'm and... sure Chuck Fletcher's contracts had a bit of whiteout on them. You know, <laughs> and, and a and a first rounder attached to it. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> that's gonna post it note attached to it. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, well, last topic here, injury news. Uh, Carolina, hopefully getting some good news here. Table Teravainen is likely to return at some point if that series goes deep with Carolina and Florida. Of course, he broke his hand in round one against the Islanders, yeah. so keep an eye on that. Uh, the big one that we've gotten news for, Gabriel Landeskog set to miss next season for sure after knee cartilage transplant. He had surgery on May 10th, already missed this season basically and the brief playoff run of course due to his knee issues he had surgery in march of the previous year um and then had another procedure in october and was supposed to give like a 12 to 14 week timeline be back a little after christmas something like that and then all of a sudden never panned out. yeah never panned out never had a chance to play uh this is this is interesting yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, this is why. Sorry, they, they're actually yeah. finding him with a sledgehammer in the parking lot. No, oh, um, <laughs> it's interesting. Obviously, of course, Landis got the captain. Easter convention. That's not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like they're they're doing. Uh, I was going to say a knee circumcision, but anyway. Um, with that being said, like, like the, the the captain of this hockey team, right? Not only is it a question mark for Colorado, who can definitely use him in the top nine. Mm-hmm. Will he ever play again? That is the question, right? Because I, I'm trying to remember, was it Mark Mathot that uh, he said that he had either the same or a similar procedure, and it, it's just because of the nature of the cartilage in the knee, right? It's basically the the buffer in between the knee bones, right? Um, your femur slash your tibia fibia. I'm hashtag not doctor advice, and I'm sure someone who ever would listen to this would actually be killing me right now for saying probably all the wrong things, but it's basically what it is, right? So when you have this type of surgery, apparently it's just the success rate isn't quite certain in terms of mm-hmm. the shall we say long-term longevity of it? I think maybe that's the best way to describe it. And like anything in medicine, right? It's, it's every case is unique. Every case is different. And there is a question mark of whether he will play NHL hockey again. And the question that's floated out there, Noah, maybe you were getting to this is what does Colorado do in this situation? Um, well, you already know it. You, you've got to find a replacement. And I think 
it's, well, it's hard to say. I mean, well, the danger is in finding a replacement. It's finding a replacement and then finding out that Lannis Gog is ready to go after next season. And then suddenly yeah. you're in a position where now you've, let's say you've spent, let's say Gustav Nyquist, for example, let's say Gustav Nyquist commands six and a half million Colorado signs your deal. Yeah. But let's say they sign him for two and then all of a sudden Lannis Gog is back. Now you've got to find a way to shed. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a great situation to be in if you're, uh, you know, the, the avalanche GM, but uh, I, I think you have to w- only worry about this year. I mean, it's, it's, and it's kind of weird because GMs, you know, you, you're, you're brought up to think, okay, I've got to look at two to three years in advance and signing contracts. But in this situation where there's still so much unknown, you, you probably have to look at it and in the prism that, well, this is what I do know. We know that at least for the whole year next year, he's out. So maybe you find somebody to go on a one-year contract. Huh, maybe Nazem Kadri. Oh, nope. He's on a long-term deal with Calgary. That didn't happen. Uh, you know, but do you find somebody that's willing to take a one-year deal and maybe do you overpay for somebody in that way? So that's the other Warrior, right? Is that now you're trying to fill in a, essentially a top six role, right? Because he, um, you know, he was part of that uh, group. He's, He's a very great, dynamic offensive player um, that's got a unique mix of both skill, size, um, and uh, shall we say, offensive creativity. So it's it's a tough situation, but I think you got to play the short game if you can. Mind you, you, you almost always overpay in a situation like that, but it's better to have a serviceable body and they're maybe slightly overpriced than. Than not, so I think that's what you have to look at. This is this is kind of be once one of those weird years where you find somebody, you, you try to you know, shall we say, fill the void and see what you can do after that. Well, the Abs have to feel good about the fact that they did it for a season already, right? They know the formula yeah. in, in some senses, and they were still a great hockey team this season, yeah. despite a slew of injuries, not just Landeskog, a lot of players getting hurt. A lot of know, players, so, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting, of course. Uh, they are out of the playoffs, bested by the Kraken, who are still alive as of 8.30 here tonight. We'll have to see how that pans out as we go through into the main portion of the show. And welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 162 here in the den. Nick Max and Noah Grant here to bring you all the latest in the hockey world here. And uh, yeah, why don't we start in the great state of North Dakota here, Nick? Uh, Fargo uh, dropped game two in overtime. They actually dropped both yep. at home in the best of five uh, Clark Cup championship. First game was a four to one loss and that two to one overtime finish. Uh, Fargo was arguably the better offensive team in that hockey game. Youngstown found a way, though. That's just what good teams do. Um, you know, and when you try, when you're trying to solve the best team in the USHL, that's how you do it is you have to hang around in hockey games. This series is now headed back. Uh, the force need to win three straight to pull it off this weekend, Friday, Saturday, May 19th and 20th is in Youngstown, Ohio. Should it get to a game five, it'll be Tuesday, May 23rd in Fargo winner take all. So, uh, the force definitely have an uphill battle. To say the least, I don't know if you saw the photo by chance. Though there's a big photo of uh, Leo Gruba, by the way, uh, Saint Cloud State commit laying an absolutely thunderous hit at open ice. It. Yeah, no, it was pretty incredible. So, uh, yeah, wishing the Force the best of luck. Love to see Nick Oliver's squad pull it off. I still think they have it in them, but no margin for error, obviously. So, mm-hmm. um, but unlike the Toronto Maple Leafs, people support them. Uh, with that being said, uh. Why don't we move over to some college hockey news, NCAA player moves here. On the men's side, only one to really talk about. Max Beach was absolutely giddy about this one. Minnesota Duluth. He's been giddy about it for over like three months privately. Yeah. So Aaron Pionk, who of course his brother Neil played at Duluth as well for two seasons, was originally a Mankato commit. Um, 
his younger brother Aaron, uh, a Hermantown High School grad in 2021, played for the Wilderness and the Null, who of course were in the Robertson Cup playoffs right now, but he's been in the USHL with Waterloo this season. Uh, 60 games, 12 goals, 24 assists for him. Uh, this is a pickup that uh, I'm sure Duluth is excited for, for the hometown-ish prospect of, that Hermantown brings. But if you're Max Veach and you're trying to be analytical and not talk about a referee for a change, what's going through your mind? Nothing, because that's all he knows how to talk about is refereeing, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he doesn't know how to sit close enough to his camera on MNCAA, apparently. Not at all. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's the relaxed Max Beach is. You know, I kind of like that, though. I mean, it felt like, didn't it feel like a Green Day jacket ceremony thing, like at Augusta kind of thing? It felt like the guy that, you know, teed off at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and had a seven shot lead because everybody else imploded around him. He just sat there, you know, you know, with a cigar and a cognac. It was just like, all right, I'll just let everybody else kill themselves. I, I didn't um, know if you were going to say seven shot lead or seven shots, but either way. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of both depending <laughs> on the context. Uh, but this is actually a very good pickup for, uh, for the Bulldogs. Uh, I, I think it's no question what uh, Aaron Pianca is going to bring to the table. A smooth skater. Obviously you, you saw with the points, 36 points, uh, during the season, he's got some offensive upside to him. Uh, big thing is for him, you know, again, under Scott Salem, which uh, surprisingly last year, you know, was not the defensive stalwart that we probably would have seen in years past. You know, how does a group that's going to look probably remarkably different. There's going to be a lot of new faces with them. How quickly can this team assimilate amongst each other's into Scott Sandlin's system? So uh, it's a great personnel pickup, but you kind of wonder what the growing pains are going to look like for UMD. Nonetheless, they're going to have, um, shall I say, another influx of skilled defensemen in the lineup. Um, see how well he, he he plays after, especially some key losses up front for them. They're going to need their defensemen to be uh, stepping up because, again, Isaac Howard going to Michigan State, uh, just one of a couple of pieces that have, shall we say, turned over with the Bulldogs. And, uh, yeah, they'll need all the help they can get. Yes, and I said that purposely. Yeah, certainly would agree. Um, on the women's side, uh, the Duluth Bulldogs also losing a player, Taylor Stewart, a senior defenseman, eight points, four goals, four assists, and 39 games played. She is on her way out. Ohio State adds another. Uh, Olivia Mobley from Quinnipiac, 43 points in 40 games what as a N junior. I, what NLI deals is I always <laughs> given out, seriously? <laughs> I don't know. 28 assists for Olivia this season. I'll say it again, man. If this Buckeyes team at minimum doesn't make the Frozen Four or the championship game, that's, I would that's be. A fail. That's a fail. Literally. I mean, they are yeah. all in Stacked. with this program. And I know, obviously, you know, you lose some great players, especially for Team Canada, you know, on that stage. And obviously some players that are that are going to go pro or have already intended to do so, but still, oh my gosh, I mean, absolutely stacked. And, you know, they, they lost a bunch of players that, you know, I mean, essentially you had a player with 20 games, a player with 34, but then the other three, five, two and zero games respectively. And a combined 11, 12, 13, 14 points between the five of them. I mean, you're losing very little and let, let's put it to you this way, Nick, um, you know, just because I am a math guy and you know that, I have to oh, break math are? out on this show and I'm actually doing math on this thing called a calculator, which my professor said I wouldn't ever be able to use in my life. And apparently we have them all the time now. Let's just put it to you this way, Nick. Oh, so this, this bat or excuse me, this Buckeyes team is essentially losing, you know, 14 points, right? Mm -hmm. They are gaining 203. 
that would be a net gain of 189 points. I don't know if that's good, but it certainly doesn't sound bad. I sounds like that scoreboard from Space Jam where the monster has had this and they <laughs> switched it, you know, kind of one-sided, isn't it? That's kind of what it looks like. It looks like a blowout. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, Ohio State, uh, seemingly the destination for, of the offseason for women's hockey, and they continue to add. And, you know, holy cow, um, yikes. I, I think that they must have felt like they – let one slip away last uh, last year, and you could maybe argue that they did a little bit. Uh, but yeah. holy cow, uh, yeah, Ohio State looking to make amends for what they felt like they should have had a better result at the end of the year. I mean, talk about aggressive recruiting. I mean, there's there's no mistake that you know the plan was made and it's being executed. I mean, this is yeah. You know, I mean, holy cow, that's that's insane. Yeah, good for them, I guess. Uh, um, St. Cloud, by the way, adding two more uh, transfers, one from RPI, one from Merrimack. Maddie Peterson, senior forward, had 29 games, six points, all goals to her credit for RPI last season. And then also adding Merrimack's leading scorer, scorer Katie Kaufman, uh, senior with 36 games, had 23 points, 11 goals, 12 assists. Um, hopefully par for the course, going to fill in somewhere in that middle six, I would imagine, for St. Cloud next season. Probably. Um, um, yeah, just because you, you don't know how, to, how that translates with Merrimack's strength. I, I believe the Huskies, if I'm not mistaken, played Merrimack this season in that holiday tournament. Am I am I wrong on that? Uh, well, now you're really making me work. Here's yeah, what I'll say. Me, how about this? I'll, I'll, I'll take a look. Um, the Kaufman thing, uh, the addition, I should say, is, is quite good news because, uh, first of all, uh, the Rink Live did a really, really nice you know, a piece about uh, her decision that chose St. Cloud State, and apparently she was – uh, you know, heavily recruited by a bunch of other programs uh, for her fifth year of eligibility and, and mentioned uh, essentially the Huskies immediate turnaround. She was like, you know, kind of they kind of came out of nowhere, I think was her exact quote. And she was like, you know, at, at Mary Mac, yeah, because well, and again, the record wasn't great either. And she said, you know, we just felt like we were going to turn it around. And we thought we're going to turn around another year. And it goes, it just never happened. And she goes and to see St. Cloud break through the way that they did and how much better they played. She goes, that was attractive. And apparently there was a campus visit mm-hmm. involved and it was immediately sold. So uh, for those who are asking about the Brian Idolski um, effect, uh, it's in full swing. Um, I think, you know, after one year, if you're already convincing some other high caliber players that holy cow, I mean, this team came out of nowhere. They beat, uh, and then Coffin mentioned they beat Wisconsin. They beat the Gophers. Uh, um, you know, they, they essentially, you know, doubled their record. They're like, that's something I want to be a part of. And, you know, good for them because, you know, you hope that that can just continues to compound, right? Because if they take another step this year, imagine some of the other, shall we say, younger student athletes that are out there looking, whether it's their first year in college or maybe have contemplated a change after next year at their current program, you start, you know, attracting more of those skill, you know, folks, guys, the St. Cloud State women's team is on a trajectory that is only going up. And that's great to see. So, uh, for those who are curious, I my memory did serve me correctly. They did play Merrimack in the second game of that holiday tournament. Uh, the Huskies win three to one that night, um, and uh, Merrimack's only goal came from Katie Kaufman. Katie Kaufman on the power play. So uh, in the third period, so the Huskies uh, winning that one, and then actually the Huskies had a pair of games early in the season against RPI as well. Five nothing and three to two were their victories, and the three to two victory was a three to one lead that ended up vanishing into a one goal lead with about 12 minutes left to play in that hockey game. So uh, yeah, I I would imagine there was some maybe scouting going on there during those games too. And just keeping an eye on some players that obviously, you know, made a difference and made an impact. In fact, I should have um, 
pulled out the box score to see uh, Taylor Larson yep. um, had a goal in the second night. Um, Maddie Peterson had a goal in the second night as well. So a couple of RPI products there as well too on this uh on this as well so uh keeping keeping an eye on that i mean this women's hockey team like we talked about they have a lot of work to do to kind of replenish some of that offense that they're going to lose just based on graduation eight players in the transfer portal obviously but they've gained three back and they're looking for uh more to be added into that list i wouldn't be shocked if they get to a point and again uh, we don't really know much about the freshman class as of yet but i wouldn't be shocked if we see if we see one maybe two more players come from the transfer portal in some capacity. I, I think that just when you lose that many players, even when you're trying to bring in a new freshman class, you know, knowing when you have competition with those freshmen, with the transfers coming in, but then number two, just making sure you have a good strong lineup, you know, best available players. If, it, if it's the right fit, you know, I think that coaching staff is going to make it happen. Uh, moving on to the NHL playoffs here, of course, uh, round two is over. We're going to take a look at essentially recapping the second round. We will preview the third round in the extra ice session. So um, it's kind of a bit of a, a split agenda, so to speak, for us here. But uh, um, as we look at the playoff bracket here in the second round, of course, Seattle Dallas still going on tonight. Uh, let's start in the other side of the West here. Vegas winning last night against the Oilers and the Oilers staff and players talked about how they felt like it was kind of a failure. One of the best power plays in NHL playoff history for the Oilers that couldn't find a way in the end, especially on that major power play. Um, I'll be honest. I was surprised this game didn't go the full distance. I know six is almost seven, but almost only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades and slow dancing. Um, <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, like I said, I had the Oilers going to the conference finals. I don't know if we underestimated this Vegas team, or d- maybe it just came down to the fact that Stuart Skinner was less than serviceable and Aiden Hill was serviceable enough in the end. I, and I, I think, well, and we overestimated the five on five capability of Edmonton. What's, you yeah. know, when we talk about, you know, the power play and the special teams, yeah, I mean, how many times do we talk about it? We talked about it in the Minnesota series against Dallas, right? How that kind of failed them, and yet, five on five Minnesota was the better team that just couldn't can score right Edmonton right. it was the same way Edmonton had a lethal power play but yet in game six all for one right and it was at a critical moment where still I think it was a a two goal deficit you mind you they you know cash in and at least make it four or three I think that third period plays out a little bit differently um and you mentioned Skinner right here's what's interesting to me and and, and you know I heard this from a couple of other folks and, and so I'm repeating a kind of a storyline but when you have Jack Campbell signed a $5 million a year until what, 2026, 27, I believe, somewhere in that realm. And so you're paying him $5 million a year. And yeah, Stuart Skinner, 14, one and one down the stretch. He's a rookie goaltender. Um, it's, it says something about the goaltender you just paid five by five that you didn't start game seven. I get it. it it's not as simple as it sounds. And I'm not going to be the one to try to oversimplify that, you know, more difficult equation, but it does. If you're Jack Campbell, you kind of wonder what the heck, right? Because Stuart Skinner as a rookie played great in the regular season. I do think maybe the Stanley cup playoffs, maybe round two wasn't, maybe he just wasn't up for it, right? And it's not to say that it was all his fault, right? I'm not putting this on him entirely, but you kind of wonder too why Jay Woodcroft and the Edmonton Oilers, when he had been pulled already twice before then, um, why they didn't start Jack Campbell in game six. And again, we'll we'll probably never know the answer to that, but at the end of the day, their five-on-five play just wasn't good enough. Um, You know, and again, you know, when you have a Vegas team that, 
unfortunately, right, for their own selves. They, they did take quite a few penalties in the games that Edmonton won. But imagine, again, game six, just one power play. And yeah. that was the winning formula from the get-go for the Vegas Golden Knights. If you could just keep it five on five, they were the better team. And, you know, Edmonton, it feels like they're close, but also it kind of feels like they're still farther away, right? Well, it's, a weird, it's a weird spot to be in. Well, we talked about how they were kind of like, you know, trial by fire, win by fire, right? And, yeah. You know, there, there wasn't going to be this defensive juggernaut where Edmonton was going to win a two-to-one game in triple overtime, right? That just no. wasn't how they, they were going to be, you know, winning games 6-5, five, 5-4. Five, that was just kind of the way that they were going to play the game. If they would have had goaltending, I mean, I think yeah. it almost would have been no question. And I'm not saying Skinner was more than great in the first round. And I mean, I yes. thought he was thought he was okay through the first half of that series, but it's like they just didn't, get the goaltending when it counted. And yep. unfortunately for them, that means they're out of the playoffs. So Vegas uh, for, I believe, it, I think it's the fourth time in five seasons of existence that they six, make the four, conference six. finals. How about that? Huh? Yeah. So um, pretty crazy. Uh, on the other side of it, Carolina beating New Jersey. This one surprised me actually with how, how well, not how well Carolina played, how quickly New Jersey fell off the table after having a resurgence and getting back to form with Akira Schmidt and, you know, yep. finding their groove in the second half of that series against the Rangers. And then besides that one game where even they win by four, but give up three shorthanded goals, they just never really look like the Settled team. In. They just never look like the team this year that was in control and a great defensive team through most of the season. No, and and that was my fear, right? When we talked about the Devils before the playoffs began was, you know, yeah, they're playing great, but as said, their youth is a question mark for me. And it kind of showed a little bit. I think those things with uh, Vanacek, right? He hadn't seen the playoffs. And then you go to Akira Schmidt, who also, mm -hmm. you know, a younger goaltender um, and, you know, kind of is a Band-Aid. And, you know, I don't mean that, you know, in a disrespectful way, but he came in and kind of settled things down. But it just it didn't feel like it was a permanent fix, right? It felt like this was a Band-Aid. Uh, New Jersey, just the style they play, kind of run and gun. Uh, to me, they took a lot for them to come back and beat the Rangers. And I just feel like the second round, they were just out of gas um, in the mm -hmm. second round. That's how I saw it. There's a, here's the thing about New Jersey, though. They have a lot of great pieces there um, that they are definitely going to be playoff contenders now for the next couple of years. Um, there's no question. Goaltending has to be probably the number one area that they need to address uh, this offseason and maybe a couple of other pieces defensively. So they, they've got the offensive punch. But again, uh, you know, the playoffs, they teach you some things, right? And I think New Jersey learn some lessons um so it's good for them but at the end of it they just still i think a lack of experience for them both uh especially up front and especially in that i think that's what hurt them and, if, and just again the emotional tank was done to even in round two for me i think they let it all go in round one yeah that carolina team is an interesting team i they just they have a lot of balance i think that uh you know there isn't a, an area of carolina's game that you can say while they're necessarily exceptional at, but they're just a well-oiled machine where they're yeah. above average in all areas, right? It just feels like they just kind of keep the train rolling a little bit. And that is a consistent force as another team that actually fits that bill quite nicely. And that is the Florida Panthers on the yes. other side, um, a team that just, again, too dumb to realize they should have been out of it by now. Um, and they're a team that just has really... Do we have to keep saying that, though? I well, mean, they're, they're just a team that has belief and plays for each other. And I think one of the things we've talked about this before, you brought up last week, the 2012 L.A. Kings. When you're an eight seed or a low seed or a wild card seed, all the pressure is off of you. You're not expected to make a deep run. And sometimes it's easier to play a little bit looser. 
I again, I was shocked that they got out of that round against Boston. I know people talked about what a great comeback it was. Let's be real. They were down 3-1 in that series, and they were down in the last minute 30 of Game 7. I mean, I mean, it's not like they had this surge where suddenly they were dominant, and suddenly they found their game, and suddenly they walked all over the Bruins. They got by by the skin of their teeth. Now, But they did have to 4-7. Now, yeah. Now, in the second round, they said, okay, we're going to show that we legitimately belong here, and they ruined the Maple Leafs' life. Now, let's talk about let's talk about the fact that uh, it's a game of bounces. The Maple Leafs needed game three, lose it in overtime. They respond in game number four, and then game five, they lose it in overtime. Big controversial no-goal call that I'm sure everybody, of course, saw Jesus, on, yep. on social media. I, I guess the first question, I'm assuming you saw it. Um, oh, a million times. First question is, because we've had conversations about the parallax goal, both Calgary and then Minnesota, of course, against Dallas a couple of years ago, which I, I'm almost positive the Dallas one was definitely not in. Um, the Calgary one, I'm a little less sold on, but still, um, science says no. I don't know. Um, my profession is based on science, so maybe I'm inclined to believe it just a little bit. Uh, but so. <laughs> the reverse camera angle they gave at the end, boy, that one was close. close. Um, and again, the, the question isn't just did the puck go in the net? When was the whistle blown? Right. And right. I think that was the other part of the conversation slash equation that they were trying, you know, to sort of pick apart. Right. And, That's and, it, and it can also be the intent to blow the whistle. Just because when you hear the whistle, if the official had intent to blow the whistle before the puck is jammed in, it can be deemed no goal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's oh boy. That one was tough because there really wasn't. A very clear angle. No, I know that through social media, there's been some, shall I say, after aftermath photos of one that seemed to be um, on the right side of that pad there. And again, the parallax angle is a question. Yeah, it's tough, right? And this is where you know the Toronto Maple Leaf conspiracies live on. That's what's put it that way. Um, but to conclusive, right? I'm not sure what was conclusive there. And again, that's what right. makes this so tough. And uh, you know, people who. And this is where it goes back to even to the regular season, right? No, and that is, you know, the people who hate the stoppages, you and me, I know we hate them too, if we can avoid them. But this is when they matter, right? Is in a playoff game where if that goal counts, yeah. we may be still talking about this series still with Florida and Toronto. Um, but we're not. So I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, game seven would have been tomorrow on Tuesday. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, um, I think what's more newsworthy is guess who was held goalless in the entire series? Austin Matthews, John, uh, John Tavares too. Wasn't he? Because yeah, they, they talked about the big three. They said they combined for one goal across $33 yeah, million. Dollars. I yeah, mean, it's Marner. Um, and, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, Tavares too, as well. And you talked about uh, the idea too, with that no goal, they showed the overhead. And the problem is because of the shadow created from the pad, you just didn't get that definitive look that you would have, taken away from the parallax angle a little bit, which of course the parallax angle from that reverse or broadcast or opposite the broadcast side feed, essentially that reverse yep. angle camera from the bench side um, looked to be the most definitive where that puck was in the net. Like I said, I don't doubt, especially the way that Riley reacted right in front of that. I don't doubt that that puck likely probably could have crossed the line, oh, but I think, sure. but I think just because of the fact that it was so inconclusive, you know, was a little bit difficult. And I understand the NHL, a game of inches could have been a difference maker. Some series is swing on that, but we talked about this before the Maple Leafs put themselves in that position. Credit Florida. I am extremely curious to see how this Carolina Florida matchup matches up 
in, this is in an the, interesting series. Yeah, in the Southeast. Yeah. And here's the thing that I think is great for the game of hockey. If Toronto would have made it, it would have been cool too. But when is the last time you've legitim- like, legitimately talked about Florida and Carolina and said there's intrigue in the National Hockey League about these two teams? I mean, it's, it's hard to generate interest sometimes for those programs, and they're doing it. So, and, well, let's, let's flip the equation here. The bunch of jerks, right? They were getting yeah. literally laughed at, meaning the Carolina Hurricanes fan base by Don Cherry, who, let's be honest, also not long after is no longer a broadcaster um, for some different reasons, which we will not discuss on the show. But at the end of the day, you know, they have sort of rallied around the squad and, you know, they've been a very good team the last three, four years, right? Um, Florida, I know that we've talked about them just in their playoff realm per se, right? But we got to remember too, Florida was expected to be better this year. Florida was expected to be, and then all of a sudden the expectations came down because they had a really slow start. Right. Um, almost like uh, they should be better kind of words, right? Mm-hmm. And then they never really sort of had that come to Jesus moment, if you want to say, and like really found their game and really kind of exploded. Right and put together a long winning streak or at least some good numbers. Mm-hmm. They sort of hung around, and again, they snuck into the postseason. And as we've talked about in the past, you just have to punch a ticket. And sometimes, whether it's the lights being in the playoffs, knowing that in the Florida's case, this is kind of house money maybe, you know, the pressure's off of us. This team is dangerous, man. Um, I think what's intriguing in this upcoming Eastern Conference final is these two teams know how to forecheck. Both these mm-hmm. teams know how to work the puck below each other's red lines. Both have decent, you know, defensemen. I think Carolina's D is, you know, a little bit more stacked than Florida's, but they know how to shall we say add offense. They know how to pinch in. Uh, they can get shots through. This is a very intriguing series. So, you know, to go back to when's the last time, it isn't actually as far off as you think because Carolina has kind of ridden a wave uh, for the past couple of years. They've really sort of, shall we say, reinvigorated that franchise Florida mm-hmm. more recently. And again, they had a higher expectations before the drop of the first puck in October. They were really toned back. And again, buying what Buffalo having a monumental collapse in Pittsburgh also having a really tough second half of the year. They're not even making the postseason. So, They've sort of defied the odds, if you want to call it. Maybe that's the storyline or that's the intrigue. But we got to remember, too, preseason, a lot of people had Florida in a top three spot um, yeah. to finish the year. So maybe they're just finding the form at the right time. LA Kings, we talk, we, we keep referencing back to them in 2012. That's kind of what happened, whether it's lightning in a bottle or just something clicks at the right time. Florida's playing their best hockey of the year at the right time. And man, they're just as dangerous as as this Carolina squad. And man, is this series going to be fun to watch in the Eastern finals whenever that gets underway. Yeah. And getting goaltending too, which they weren't in the first half of the Boston series as well, too. Of course, uh, we will preview round number three uh, right now. uh, Dallas stars leads the Seattle Kraken one to nothing after two periods of play. Rupe hints with the late goal in period number two, the former Bismarck Bobcat for two games actually has the difference maker (laughs) as they move into the final 20 minutes of 
of play. Uh, it really over- is, oh, you're too good. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it was something at the end of the season where they brought him in for probably. a couple of games and then yeah. probably said, yeah, you're too good. Um, with that being said, we'll move over to guys who are too good. Uh, the NHL awards here, uh, three award finalists here that we're going to pull up. Uh, we'll start, of course, with uh, the Bill Masterson Trophy. Of course, this is the player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. Uh, Chris Letang, Clayton Keller, and Alex Stalock are all your finalists. Of course, Letang with the Pittsburgh Penguins suffered the second stroke of his career in late November and returned to the ice, which is incredible to That's me. Insane. He'll yep. he'll be 36 soon. Um, still led the Penguins in average ice time at just under 25 minutes and paced the defenseman with 12 goals, 41 points in 64 games. So uh, apparently it's working for him. Um, yeah. Clayton Keller, uh, season ended a couple of weeks short, um, was stretched off the ice with that kind of gnarly leg injury yeah. in March. Um, so he, uh, of last year, of course, recovered from the surgery, had a career high, 37 goals, 49 assists, played in every single contest for the Coyotes, telling 86 points, tied him with Keith Kachuk for the most in a single season since the Coyotes moved to Arizona. So, um, Great season for him. And then, of course, Alex Stalock, who had myocarditis. They expected him to probably never play in the show again. 27 games for the Hawks, a 908 and a 301 um, against, uh, you know, opponents that were walking all over Chicago, basically, um, yeah. at 35 years of age. This one is always the hardest award to break down because all three yeah. of these guys are equally deserving. Is there one story that sticks out a little bit more than the rest i mean i know we love alex Stalock because of the former minnesota connection but i mean i mean myocarditis i mean that's that's no laughing matter right i mean yeah. the fact that you know you're able to get through that but also chris letang man i mean that's I that's think hard so yeah that's hard to because it's not like you're comparing right but you're also going man because you, when you you describe the definition of the masters and you know dedication to hockey right chris letang man and it's not to me just the the strokes but also the concussions he's been through a lot and the fact that he was still able to strap on a pair of skates go out there and skate 25 minutes a night on a team that uh, really struggled you know this year in Mm -hmm. fact you know missing the postseason really should opening some eyes and in fact some changes in pittsburgh some still underway that need to be filled uh hard to argue against chris letang or alex daylock uh, Clayton Keller, yeah, that's a great comeback story. I'm just not sure that it rises to the same level as the other two. It's yep. a toss-up to me, but I think if I were to give a slight edge, it would be to Chris Letang. Yep, I would agree with you too. Both incredible stories. Uh, both veteran guys, obviously, that have been through yeah. a lot too. Alex Daylock's journey a little bit different, of course. The Minnesota Duluth Bulldog, uh, former yeah. player as well too. So, uh, um, is is he a Minnesota native? I don't remember. Um, I don't think he is. I'll check I, that for I you. feel like I should know that. Alex Stalock. Um, good thing we have this thing called Google. Um, right. I don't think he is a Minnesota native. Uh, well, let's take a look. Or no, is he South St. Paul? That's right. I say I, I felt like he was, but I wasn't sure, as you can obviously tell. Yeah, St. Paul, Minnesota, 1987. What a year. Um Moving on to the second award here, the Ted Lindsay Award finalists, uh, the league's most outstanding player. Um, this is voted on by members of the NHLPA rather than the professional hockey writers here. Connor McDavid, David Posternock, and Eric Carlson were named uh, the three award finalists here. I think this one's pretty cut and dry, if you ask yeah, me. David. Yeah, no question there. Over 150 <laughs> points, right? I mean, there's just not to take anything from David Posternock, who had quite himself a season. I don't know if it was Eric Carlson. Uh, Carlson, to me, you know, 
it's the right three guys, right? In the conversation, yeah. what a resurgent year that Carlson had. Again, David Poston knock over 60 goals. I mean, holy cow. Uh, speaking of questions, man, Boston's got quite a few of those this offseason, too. Uh, yeah. Not just, you know, how the heck are we going to recover from literally laying the, you know, the biggest egg in the first round of the playoffs minus Tampa Bay. But uh, yeah, a lot of changes there. But yeah, McDavid, I don't know how you can. Yeah. Go. Someone that goes over 150 points. This is no way. Carlson, a great mention. I still think he's going to win the Norris, like we talked about. Uh, Posternock, 113 points for him, factored in just under 38% of Boston's 301 goals this season. So that's a pretty impressive clip. Uh, wow. But yeah, but with McDavid, um, don't forget Carl. Carlson and Pasternak are first-time finalists. This will be McDavid's fourth if he wins it, which means that only Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky have won at least four times. Uh, of course, he had 152 points, excuse me, 153 the, yeah. at age 26, the first player to hit that mark since the aforementioned Mario Lemieux in 1995-96. To put that in perspective, both myself and Connor McDavid, who are barely a month apart in age, weren't even born yet. So, uh, yeah, Crazy. pretty Pretty impressive. Uh, moving on to the last award here, Linus Olmark, um, Ilya Sorokin, and Connor Hellebuck are the Vesna finalists, of course. Uh, Boston, New York Islanders, and Winnipeg Jets, respectively. All three had great seasons. Um, Ilya Sorokin really kind of gets left out of the conversation for how good he actually is. Mm-hmm. Connor Hellebuck has been in the mix a few times, and Linus Olmark, of course, great season in front of a great team. Is there anybody that stands out to you? This one's a little more tough because for me, Linus Olmark, you know, had a great year, but he also had a great team in front of him. Uh, Ilya Sorokin and Connor Hellebuck, to me, they kind of willed those teams to the playoffs. If if I'm, yeah. you know, so to me, and granted, this is probably why I don't have a vote, right? It's between Hellebuck and Sorokin. If I had to give a slight edge, it's probably Sorokin. Um, but it's hard to take away what Hellebuck did too. I mean, those are two franchises that are in desperate need of, shall we say, some uh, and maybe a, an injection of change, to say it lightly. Um, you know, so I don't know. Uh, to me, Allmark was great, but to me, he was also the beneficiary of a great system. To me, the other two, I, I think, had more to do with their team's success than uh, Allmark. So to me, it's either Sorokin or Hellebuck. Yeah, it's, a lot of people say Allmark. It was kind of his by Christmas time. No, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up with it. I mean, yes, he had a great team yeah. in front of him, but he just he had an unreal year. Um, yeah, you know, I mean. 49 appearances he was 46 and one like yeah good lord i know also also scored this season so if we're going by that i mean he's got it locked up right like i mean i mean come on let's be real (laughs) yeah so uh, here's a here's an interesting here's an interesting trivia question for you who took home the vesna last season do you remember was it vasilevsky it was not. It was New York Rangers. Eager Shosturkin. Oh, Shosturkin. Yeah. Yeah. Took over, took home the award. Who took home the Ted Lindsay Award last season? Do you remember? Ooh. Wasn't it McDavid? It was not McDavid. It does start with an M though. Um, Give me a second. Is on a Canadian team. I'm thinking. Is on a Canadian team that's feeling very sad right now. Edmonton, okay. Well, not McDavid, though. Yeah, I know. But it's not Edmonton. Hold on. Someone Edmonton, who, first some, name or the last name? M starts with the last name. Someone who just declared that he wants an extension before the start of next season. Hold on. Would you Mr. like help? Oh, Marner? <laughs> or Matthews. Matthews. Oh, Matthews. That's right. 60 goal a year. Jeez. Yeah. I forgot about that. Average, right? 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, interesting to see who's going to take home these awards. Uh, we turn our attention to the other side of the world, literally the men's worlds, uh, taking a look at that as we wrap up the main portion of the show here, we're going to keep nice an eye segue. on this. <laughs> Thanks man. I worked, I worked really hard on that. Um, I, as I have, as Nick, of course, humorously notes for those who watch the YouTube show, which there's been a lot more of you watching our YouTube channel lately, which we love it. So thanks so much. Leave a like for us, you know, the little thumbs up button. We would love that. I, uh, there is a little thing in our notes that I put that says switch graphics. So, you know, just in case, <laughs> just in case I, I forget on uh, the certain that joke here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Change a cue card now. Um, so the men's worlds, of course, the United States has played three games. They've won all three. They lead group a the leader for group b is canada who's won two games and then an overtime victory for them goal differential of plus 10 the u.s also plus 10 as well too so the u.s beat finland four to one hungary seven to one and germany by a score of three to two which germany has yet to win a game in three total contests they've scored five and uh given up eight so the u.s got kind of a scare the other day uh so the quarterfinals of course start in 10 days may 25th Normally 1A plays 4B, 2A plays 3B, and they you know cross pool essentially for the top four in each pool. That will be the case unless the exception of if both the host teams, Finland and Latvia, both qualify and are slated to play each other. Latvia currently sixth right now in the Group B bracket and Finland currently fourth in the Group A, so the likelihood is low. But yep. if that ever happened, then it would mean where that uh, the quarterfinal matches will take place within the group. So Group A would play the fourth place team in Group A instead of crossing over for for that reason. So, and then teams are reseeded for the semifinals based on how they performed in their group stages, not in the medal round. In the group stages, the yep. bottom two performers of each group in the group stage as well will be demoted from the championship level to Division One A for the next year's World Championships. So there is things on the line as far as that is concerned. Um, as far as points for who those bottom two teams are in the B side, it is Norway with one point and Slovenia with zero. So, um, and then Germany and Hungary both have zero on the other side. So as it stands today, the U S Sweden, Denmark, and Finland round out your top four in group a followed by France, Austria, Hungary, and Germany. And then in group B it's Canada, the Czechs, the Swiss, and the Slovakians rounding out the top four in Group B with Kazakhstan, Latvia, Norway, and Slovenia rounding out the eight that comprise Group B. So the U.S. still has Austria, Denmark, France, and Sweden left in their seven-game slate, Nick. There's been some good hockey uh, you know that's that's come out of this. Of course, you look at the U.S. roster, a little bit younger, a little bit closer to what I would, what I would say akin to I don't want to say the world junior roster, but I want to say in, in the idea that, um, you know, they just, they kind of have this healthy mix where it's not fully NHL laden players versus this Canadian roster looks a lot more heavy on the NHL roster side here. But uh, the player that actually paces this tournament right now is actually Dominic Kubalik. Mm-hmm. Um, the Czech forward, of course, the former Chicago Blackhawk uh, forward and then Mackenzie Weger on the back end for Canada as well too, uh, pacing with six points respectively. Lucas Sedlak, Nikolai Ehlers has four points as well. Rocco Grimaldi with four points, the former North Dakota. Um, I guess, would he have been a fighting Hawk or, or before that time? But nonetheless, uh, Nick, it's been some good hockey. Uh, anything, anything you've noticed, it's definitely been must watch. If you're bored on a, on a Sunday at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, for sure. U.S. and Canada both look really good, actually. Uh, you know, they show speed. And like you mentioned, you know, uh, U.S. not maybe 
the household names, but how about a couple of former Huskies, right? How about Mikey um, Isom, um, Isomot that was added to the roster late due to an injury? Uh, Nick Perbix has been, you know, taking first line uh, minutes on the deep pairings uh, with, yeah. uh, how about this, former NCHC player, Dylan Sandberg. How about that? They yeah. bet. And, and Scott Perunovich on the back end, too. Yeah. A lot of NCHC, uh, shall we say, former. And- and NCAA, Andres Bjork, of course, former Notre Dame, uh, Fighting Andres Irish. Bjork. Yep, uh, Ronnie Cal- Adder, again, Cal- former Western Cal- Michigan Bronco. Yep, Cal Peterson, uh, Drew Camesso, Matt Coronado, uh, Alex Tuck, who got in a fight the other day. Um, well, not, not shocking. But Carter, yeah. Carter, Carter Mazur as well, too, the former Denver yeah. Pioneer. So, yeah, a lot of great. But how about this for Wild fans? Um, how about Jesper Wallstad in Sweden? Yeah. They're eight goals for one goal against he's got a shutout and uh you talk about you know goaltenders and players that seem to rise uh you know when it matters most all about Jesper Wallstead had a pretty good year in Iowa all things considered uh but man has he looked pretty sharp early on and here in this uh, shall we say this group sort of round robin play again only one goal against in two contests man is he looks solid has he played I don't think he's played um he has a shutout I, yes I, he has well why is Lars Johansson listed as the netminder that has uh I don't know yeah, because that's that's what I at least that's what I remember seeing. Unless I'm uh, completely going crazy, which that wouldn't I surprise say, everybody. That, that's like a sixty forty probability, is it that's, not? Um, yeah, that's that's not, <laughs> well, no, but seriously, I swear it was Wallstead that was in net. Well, let me let me see if I can pull up the team stats here and just make sure. Here's the thing, though, is that is that the um the the conversation has been around Philip Gustafson in the Minnesota Wild, by the way, too. And the question is, is he going to be long-term more than the next year or two? Or is Jesper Wallstead actually a tradable commodity? I know that's a crazy thing to think about, but... West, uh, Wallstead does have a shutout, too. So, but... Maybe, yeah. maybe it was a tandem shutout. I wonder if that's how maybe. that ended up how that ended up going. Um, oh, either way. Yeah, well, Sweden's playing well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's what we're trying to get to. You look on the Canadian yeah. side, Jacob Middleton, of course, Minnesota Wild um, uh, player. Yeah, there's something that must be that must be wrong about um, these lineups, unless this has been the case for Canada. Jacob Middleton is listed as a forward, so um, that's and P- what. <laughs> and Pierre Oliver Joseph is listed as a defenseman, so I'm Something's goofy there. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit confused. Um, slightly. Uh, Devin Levi, of course, in net for Canada um, as well. Sam Montembeau as well, having a very good, very good time as well. Tyler Toffoli, another notable name for Minnesota Wild defenseman Brad Hunt as well in that. Adam Fantilli, yep. I'm sure all eyes will be on him on the Canadian yep. side as well, wearing number 91. So, yeah, a lot of good hockey left to be played here. And I think that as we, as this tournament goes on, we'll kind of get a better feel as to where some of these teams are. I think once you're, you know, mostly teams have played two or three games max. So it's kind of hard to get a real feel for like Germany. Like I said, they haven't won a game and it's kind of like, did they just really struggle out of the gate or have, you know, are they better than what their record suggests? And they've just got some work to do. Uh, the biggest thing is you want to finish sixth or higher if you want to have a chance to play in the next world. So that's obviously important. Is there anything else you wanted to add related to uh, to the men's worlds? I, I think we're going to probably have a little bit more, like I said, to expand on as we move on in the coming weeks. But no, but, you know, it does kind of get overshadowed by the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, you know, if they're not on, because, you know, obviously the frequency is going to get less with, you know, now we're at conference final stage. Uh, this, is some, this is some good hockey on the international stage. And as you mentioned, some, 
you know, show you some stalwarts that are out there and, you know, some local kids uh, yeah. uh, that we know uh, as well as Minnesota Wild players. So there's some intrigue there, but more so um, Adam Fantilli again with the projected number two overall pick. So there's a lot to like about this. Um, you know, you know, what's funny is I got a text from a, a buddy back in Canada and uh, it's funny. We were watching, he was watching the first round of the NHL playoffs. And this of course relates to the roster for the U S team for the world cup. Now um, he, he texts me and he goes, he goes, man, that this Nick Perbix kid for Tampa Bay is pretty good on the back end. Like, what do you know about him? And I'm like, oh, you mean former Huskies Warming House podcast guest Nick Perbix? Yeah, he's pretty good at hockey. Like, yeah. you know, what what a what an amazing growth that he's had. We talked about him, you know, and his kind of ascension right away where he took his opportunity. And then a guy like Mikey Asamont that you talk about who's really had to grind his way and earn yes. his opportunity a little bit and kind of how short and limited your window is. And we talked about Nick Perbix, and not to say that Nick Perbix isn't fully serving of being an NHL talent but think about his start right he had like 12 points in his first eight games like he just exploded out of the gate and you wonder how different it would have been if he would have had right. one point and went dash five right like especially with John Cooper right because yeah. you know, John Cooper you know he if there's one thing that he preaches that's just you know smart puck management right uh you know yeah. if you talk about a team that breaks out that has different types of zone entries that four checks in a smart hockey IQ high level it's John Cooper um, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And for Nick Parvix, when you go into a system that I don't want to say it's complicated, but it just preaches, you know, to reduce mistakes and, you know, to make sure that every, you know, every stride that you make, every pass is, you know, is what the purpose, right? Um, you know, that can swallow you up as a young player, right? And for him mm -hmm. to come in, feel comfortable. I mean, it, it, and I saw the first couple of games, it looked like there was a learning curve there, as you would expect, right? But then he yeah. kind of settled in. And then that was it, I think, when, um, uh, Sergachev went down too, and it really opened up to almost like a top four sort of audition. He really held his ground well. I mean, he was physical. I mean, heck, he put a nice hit on. I'm trying to remember who he blew up. Was that Matthew Kachuk? Um, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. Matthew Kachuk um, in a game against Florida. You know what? You, you can remember that, but you can't remember Austin Matthews anyway. I know, right? It's <laughs> weird. Sometimes the sparks fly. Sometimes wrong, just, wrong, wrong blue jersey, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, you're killing me here. Uh, I need to change the light bulbs anyway. But uh, no, I think, you know, once he got settled in back to Perbix, you know, it really felt like, okay, he felt like at home, right? And more so, his offensive instincts, I think, really do flourish under John Cooper's system, right? Because it allows him to responsibly pinch. It allows him to jump up on the rush. And you talk about guys like Victor Hedman and even Sergachev, who are guys that can carry the puck out of the zone where we saw that with Nick Perbix's game. It was an, to me, it was an easy translate. And then, you know, Mikey Azamon too, a guy that as far as a bottom six guy, I mean, you talk about grinding, that's kind of his style of play. Man, it was he noticeable in that first round series against Toronto. You know, probably wanted a few more points on the board, but man, was that fourth line disruptive to Toronto most of that series? If they would have been able to pot a few more, uh, shall we say, pucks in the basket, you know, they may have, uh, shall we say, turned that series around and made Toronto cry again, which been kind do, of do you ever wonder what it must be like, though, for a guy like Nick Perbick? So, like, imagine growing up watching, you know, on later stages, Kucherov, but a guy like Steven Stamkos, and then you're suddenly yeah. in, in a locker room with him. You know, like, that must be a, a wild it's crazy, experience. right? And, you know, it's, it's kind of twofold, right? Because... I think, you know, obviously you're starstruck, but I remember, you know, my first, one of my first NHL interviews uh, going back to probably what, 2009? 1886. Oh, sorry. It's 
close. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. It was Brent Burns, actually, um, when he was still at the Wild. And you're kind of starstruck, but then you kind of remember, I have a job to do. I got to get quotes, and I'm trying to write a feature on Brent Burns. And so it, it lasts a little bit. And, but then all of a sudden, you know, you start to get to know some guys like Andrew Burnett, you know, interviewing him a couple of different times as, as a player as well as a, at that time uh, as sort of a front office guy, Miko Koivu, uh, Derek Bugard. You know, I didn't get to talk with him much, but guys, interview him a couple of times. John Scott, Cal Clutterbuck. They had essentially murderers row in the Minnesota Wild locker room um, to the right side. They're all three of them were right next to each other. Uh, it was kind of funny. Just, but... just don't set your bag down on the wrong side of the line. No, that was Greg Zanin. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, that was definitely, yeah. That Oops. Was, yeah, whoops. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, you know, lesson learned. So I didn't step on the logo, though. That's the, that's, that's the one thing I did know. I just didn't, you know, know the other boxes anyway so at the at nick, the end it, nick, nick um, has troubles with with shapes he's still yeah, got the little, the little the little box thing where you put all the shapes in the correct hole and he's still working it's on called it, but. it's called building blocks get real so <laughs> <laughs> um but then and stefan veyu too uh you know talking with him a couple times off the ice too in different roles uh jason zucker i i remember I was at the training camp when uh he was cut uh from the opening line he's one of the last round of cuts and you know when you're you know, obviously you feel for the player, but, you know, at the end of the day, right. You know, there's some stardom there, but I think, you know, the more you're around him, you're like, okay, nope, I, I, I'm here to play hockey. Right. So, um, and I think it's fine. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. we, we asked the question when we had Nick Dowd on a couple summers ago, and I remember him at, we asked him the well, question yeah. and he's, he's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, I sit right next to the big guy or whatever. No, he's very calm and casual. And I think you just get to that point, obviously where you, yeah. Once you've played enough games, I imagine it takes maybe 10, 10 games or so before you really are like, okay, like I'm, I'm or where getting, I'm supposed to be, you know, or getting your, your, your car filled with like, you know, packing peanuts, you know, that first yeah. you know, sort of little, you know, locker room prank stuff. I mean, yeah. you imagine, can you imagine that locker room with Florida? You almost have, almost have to always have your head in a swivel. My gosh. Um, but I think that's kind of what it is because, you know, there's that celebrity, Stat, it's not status, but like you know, almost that celebrity sort of like you, you got him on a pedestal, right? Where it's like you, yeah. know, you don't you don't they're, know the person, yeah. There's like this aura around them, yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, like instead of it being sort of this, you know, thing that you maybe like, oh, I wish I could meet this person, it'd be kind of cool. All of a sudden, your teammates and you know, a Nick Dowd situation, your your essentially locker room stallmates, and yeah. all of a sudden, it's you know less of reading a magazine or social media about somebody. It's like all of a sudden you're sitting next to each other in the bus. Maybe your roommates in a hotel room, you're grabbing lunch and all of a sudden, you know, you're waking up with shaving cream in your towel and then you're, you know, you know, getting it back with, you know, some other kind of stunt and it becomes kind of fun. Right. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's gotta be a cool feeling, especially for someone who, you know, like Nick Perbix, who, again, we lauded his skill set from his freshman year. We saw that there was the potential there. And as you mentioned before, right, for him to get his first real crack at the can this early uh, in his pro career and to be able to stick around too, it's one thing to get a crack at it. It's another yeah. thing to stick around and, you know, just ask AC Mont, right? He's had a couple of different cracks at a couple of different organizations, hasn't really found, shall we say, that consistent fit yet. He might have found it. Um, in Tampa, again, they re-signed him very quickly, although it is a two-way deal. Uh, but, you know, it's it's hard to get there. It's even harder to stick around, but 
get to enjoy. Well, day. and we had the conversation with Nick Perbix and also about Sammy Walker. And we talked about we're like, mm, yeah. we don't know if they're going to stick in the show. And like we said, it, it wasn't anything against them. It was more like we realize how hard it is and how limited your window is. And it's like we know what they bring to the table, but it's like, does who's evaluating you? Do they recognize that? Do they recognize what you bring to the table? And yeah, and it's and it, every player is different, right? So, like for example, I know when we talk about players and sticking, how about how big of a year mark for this is for Marco Rossi, right? In terms yeah. of you know, and granted, you know, he's had a year taken away because of you know his heart uh, complications due to COVID, mm-hmm. right? Myocarditis, I believe, also yep. is is yep. it correct? Yeah. So, but you do kind of get the sense that you know, as a as a ninth overall pick, that you know, with what they were hoping to see in Iowa, and, and I still wonder if part of maybe the lack of success or maybe lack of maybe development was a big reason for the Iowa wild changes. I'm not so sold that it's playoff success. You know, there's and, probably a little and, bit about that too. And maybe but. a little bit of grittiness too. And with this kind of goes yeah. back to the Nick Perbix conversation. I think of him in comparison with another great defenseman like Jack Sean, one of the things that, you know, and it's no fault of anybody in the game today has certainly changed, but Nick Perbix is a good five, six inches taller than Jack Sean is, you yeah. know, same with the conversation Rossi, you know, not a small guy, but not the biggest dude in the world, you know, and, and, and it's yeah. like, and how do you play it? Right. You know, at the yeah. end of the day, you know, uh, I remember you know, when we played in our murals, what, God, was that 2019? Was that four years ago? It was like 70 years ago. Jesus Lord. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, let's just say that uh, you probably got the first taste of my motor mouth, especially when a certain player had the puck on a stick and didn't know how offsides worked. Yeah, that, uh, was, that was like 85% of our team, but all right. Yeah, that's pretty nice. <laughs> but, you know, at, <laughs> at the end of the day, though, I think what's, uh, you know, what you learn in the situations, Noah, uh, you know, it's how it's how it's how to yell your chirps appropriately, but also yeah. But, but you, you know, at the end of the day, like especially for me because I was always the small guy. I never had a growth spurt. So you know, it was my dad and you know a couple of my coaches like, well, you know, you hear that stupid, not the side of the dog, but they're like, no, you're gonna have to stand your ground because you're gonna get picked on because you can almost use that to your advantage a little bit. And I kind of don't get me wrong, I had to learn that a little bit. And you know, it's less about maybe that you throw your weight around, but more how to throw what little you have in the right scenario. And you know, you kind of have oh, to pick and choose your times to do it. But you oh, can't come on, oh come on, we had fun. I had I had a great time having you on the two and a half men line. It was good. I mean. <laughs> I was like two of the half, you know, two of the two and a half. And the other two guys were just what striding around there. But yeah, that's that's kind of sounds like our podcast. And also, slap shots from the, and slap shots from the point also are great. So yeah, it sounds like our podcast is two guys just trying to make the fracture. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. A little broken <laughs> in the end. Yeah, it's fractured. So. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, something that is on the cusp of being fractured is somebody's playoff hopes here uh, going yeah. towards the third round. We're going to head on to the extra ice session where we preview the final four teams in the conference finals and welcome into the extra icep in episode 162 here in the huskies warming house podcast i've messed up that intro like one and a half times already we're not redoing it you nick maxson you need a cue card don't yeah you? nick maxson hello my name is russell and i am part of true number anyway um name the movie please drop it in the comments uh but uh things are looking up for some teams uh, in the NHL playoffs here. Specifically, we're going to start in the East. You can smile. It's okay. You're allowed to laugh. Um, no. I have da- I have dad jokes. They're in the cue cards. Um, uh-huh. uh, we start with Carolina and Florida, which we talked about in the earlier portions of the show. Should be an intriguing matchup here. 
I mean, first of all, the basic question, what what is your prediction for length of games? And I mean, who wins this oh, series? Man. It, to me, it's got six or seven written all over for it in the Eastern final here. Yeah, it's it's really tough to gauge. Now, the one caveat to this is you have essentially not maybe directly, but sort of insinuated that Florida maybe is in a spot that they maybe shouldn't be just based on skill. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't buy that at least entirely. The one thing about Carolina is, as we mentioned, that's a balanced hockey squad. They've got yeah. you know, great weapons up front. We know about the defense and how, you know, they definitely like to be involved offensively. They've got some size back there. Goaltending has been good from this year. Like, like you said, it's hard to find like really a, a true weakness with Carolina. There's maybe a couple, maybe shortcomings, but not a true weakness with Florida. To me, it, it it's hard because they essentially, as we discussed earlier in the show, it's hard to find maybe that one thing, but also like, wait, what? Where did this team come from? Um, their forecheck is good. Their D is good. Their goaltending has been insane with Bobrovsky. Um, again, you could have argued that he has willed them to the Eastern Conference Final. The one thing with Florida to me is uh, consistency, if there's anything for them. Um, there were times even during um, their five-game trouncing of the Maple Leafs where uh, they gave us some odd man rushes. They looked a little discombobulated in the defensive zone. So if Florida can essentially, and it's not going to be easy, uh, can essentially play the way they've been playing. they got to play in the offensive zone, let that Kachuk line go to work uh, with Carter for Hagee, and I'm trying to remember who else is on that line. Oh, Sam Bennett. Uh, mm-hmm. That's going to way that they win the series is by grinding this out. Um, Carolina, if you kind of pinch them in their own zone, like most teams at this stage of the year, you can tire them out. I mean, there's a lot of hockey that's been played. It's been a lot of intense hockey. The first eight wins for both squads. I still feel like Carolina has an edge in this series just because of beginning that balance. And again, I feel like they have more weapons up front that they can come at you in more waves and, and kind of, shall we say, absorb, uh, shall we say, a little bit more limited Florida attack. Uh, that's how I see it. How do you see it? Well, it's it's kind of interesting just what these two teams bring to the table, like you had mentioned. I mean, you have obviously players that, you know, Matthew Kachuk has been a difference maker in Florida for a variety of reasons. And not to say that Jonathan Huberto wasn't, but you wondered how they were going to adjust with the loss of both, you know, Jonathan Huberto and And Mackenzie Weger. But um, I think once the Panthers started to get goaltending where they at least felt comfortable in front of and guys that have stepped up, I mean, you think about guys that are not household names, Radko Gudis, right? A guy like that who has suddenly elevated his game to the next level become a lot more disciplined in recent years you know things are kind of coming together for this florida team here uh dare i say i think florida gets it done in six honestly oh because uh, there's just something about this team when you kind of have that uh, i don't know feeling of destiny is the right answer but for whatever reason the achilles heel for carolina has been in the conference finals it's been been, yeah it's been i believe the last time was 1996 that florida ever has even made a conference 2000 no conference final because remember it was six they won the cup no no no, not carolina florida oh florida yeah i thought you yeah. said yeah my god yeah, yeah 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 so um no yeah, carolina because after that they didn't want a playoff series right yeah well carolina has made the conference final in like two of the past four years or something yeah. like that i mean they've had a really good run here for for florida sometimes it's 
it's a good thing knowing where you haven't been because you don't have an expectation of how it's supposed to go kind of thing. And I think that's kind of what this team has a little bit. Again, reminiscent of the 2012 LA Kings, where it was like they finally were the first team to give that program organization some resurgence. And they finally found their groove and they didn't look back after that, you know, scary kerfluffle in round number one. So uh, yeah, you look at him, Carter Verhage has obviously been an animal. Really. I think the two Sams have really, impressed me too sam bennett and sam reinhardt sam reinhardt was really serviceable especially in that second round anthony duclair has used his speed really really well and is a name that he really doesn't you know get a lot of talk with i mean you look at uh you know sergey robrowski a 282 you know for his goals against which has been more than serviceable as well on the other side like you talked about though is you know you've got a team in carolina who obviously has had some good performance too sebastian ajo jordan martinuk what a what an amazing yeah. playoffs that he's had. Seth Jarvis, Jesper Foss, Jordan Stahl, Jesper Kotkin. I mean, guys that you don't nem- normally, I, I would say the first, I mean, Jordan Hall, Jordan Stahl, I guess, in years past. But yeah. Brent Burns is the first household name that shows up on this list, and he's, what, sixth on this yeah. list? I mean, it's like, you know, they're they're a team that, wins by committee similar to florida but i think they're just more balanced as far as being the deeper hockey team but i think florida what they bring to the table is that intangible x factor of being this scrappy hard-nosed team that just like not only do you have to beat them on the ice physically you have to almost beat them mentally and their will to not want to lose kind of thing they just they have that feel about them I'm on it, man. I'm on the Florida bandwagon. So, of course, that naturally means oh they're, like, they're likely going to lose. But, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Jordan Stahl versus Eric Stahl. Remember, you know, yeah. holy oh, Eric Stahl get another crack out of these final. After. And Mark Stahl, too. Yeah, and Mark Stahl. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. I don't think they've, all three have been that far, like, either with or against each other. I don't think yeah. so. Holy cow. I, yeah, that's insane. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Um, uh, Freddie but, Anderson yeah. with a 1-8, by the way. Freddie Anderson has looked good. Then again, you know, he's also, I, I think, especially against um, uh, the, the Islanders, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for the, for the, the, for, yeah, they just, I don't know, dispatched him pretty quick. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, at the, at, at the end of it. Yeah, no, that's, and that's going to be, uh, I think the key for Florida, right. Is, you know, Carolina does really well at protecting the house, you know, can they get, and this is where Matthew Kuchuk can shine, right. Is he can be that pass. Same with Sam Bennett um, to kind of get into the kitchen um, of Freddie Anderson and make his life work, a, you know, a, a quite a bit harder than it probably has been used to. Uh, this again, like there's no clear front runner in the series. You know, there's there's a lot of things that each team can maybe explain a little bit about the other, but there's really it's almost like I don't want to say a wash, but it's like who who can essentially keep playing their game the most consistently is what it's going to come down to. Well, can Florida break through? You look at both these teams, exactly yep. 40 goals for the difference is Florida's given up 37. Carolina's only given up 28. So, you know, their goals against per game is a full half a goal less per game than their opponent. So can they solve the net mining? Can the Florida Panthers break through with this net mining wall? I think that I, uh, you know, realistically though, you look at how, what they did against Linus Allmark. I mean, they found a way there. power play percentage has been a factor for Florida, you know, almost 21% Carolinas has been relatively non-existent. Uh, but the PK side of things it's flipped Carolinas at 90% Florida, just under 66% on the PK. So you've got to, 
you know, find a way to make sure that you're handling the special teams battle as well as who uh, both these teams, not great in the faceoff dot either. So no. again, it's weird. Uh, Carolina has had this weird habit, at least in the second round with New Jersey and now round number three against matching up with teams that have similar numbers and they're not yes. necessarily great numbers, which is not necessarily the conversation you're having in the conference final. So, um, no. so, so you're feeling Florida, any idea how many games? I still feel like it's six or seven. I really do. Well, pick um, one. <laughs> fine. Um, <laughs> let's let's go seven. Okay. In uh, overtime, right? No, no not <laughs> overtime. Um, Mark Mark Stahl walking Jordan Stahl for the game. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be something? Oh man, <laughs> it won't be Eric Stahl. He can't. He, he can skate, but barely. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, like to, to your point though, with with Carolina though, I I just feel like with those defensive numbers. I mean, you talk about the, the player that the teams that they face again, they, they faced a, a very lethargic New York Islander squad in round one, and then essentially a tuckered out and wasted New Jersey devil squad in round two. I'm just not sure they've seen a team as resilient and as shall we say, you know, in your face as Florida is, I mean, as Boston as Toronto hall that how it went. Right. So it's, it's kind of a wild card and it's kind of fun to talk. I mean, this is the kind of, conference final matchup you want where it's like okay the each team has got something to do well um you know they, they, there's not again like this you know obvious beacon of uh, of weakness on either squad uh you know there's maybe again as we talked about areas that maybe each team has an, an area of the upper hand of the other but i just feel like florida just because of just i mean you got to have belief in that locker room right now when you take down the best ever regular season team in boston Toronto, yeah. which that team after getting past round one only got one game more out of that. So, but you had to think that Toronto probably came to that series feeling pretty good, right? Um, you know, and, and maybe that's the mentality, right? No, do, do you think Florida is play, is still thinking that they're playing with house money now, or now they're just like, oh no, we believe we can do this? You know, this is uh, Benny the Jet Rodriguez out running, you know, the beast, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, and going over the fence. I don't know. Like, I almost kind of feel like I almost, I almost think like playing with house money is the better mentality for them. Because if you almost feel like you're taking nothing for granted, but you're excited about the opportunity, like I said, I think the, the ability that the Panthers have had is they played a lot looser because of that fact. They just, they don't feel like they've had that added pressure. You know, let's say they get swept in four games this series, their season will still be considered a monumental success because of the slow start they had in the regular season. And the fact they barely eked into the playoffs, you know, and that's something where you look at that and say, okay like yeah we feel good about it here um so yeah no it'll be interesting i, I think that florida carolina series is going to be must watch hockey, hockey we don't have the schedules out yet but um one of the things we didn't mention this in the early portions of the show um we're going to try to coincide uh next week's episode either monday or tuesday and then the week after we're going to try to follow the end of round three of the playoffs if we can so um that's kind of our plan there on the other side, we still await the Dallas-Seattle game. Dallas up 2 to nothing. Wyatt Johnston with the separator. The Seattle Kraken, I believe, only have two or three shots in period number three as of speaking yeah, with just under five minutes left. Um, Kraken, I, a tight defensive battle for this group here. So, um, yeah, but on on the starting side of this, it's funny, Rupe Hintz actually leads the team in points with 18 for the Dallas Stars and, of course, scored what would be the game winner right now tonight. Uh, but let's talk about this Vegas team to start as we wait for the result of this. Jack Eichel, 
the man who had long waited for playoff action finally got it and has made no mistake 14 points for him mark stone healthy back and everything 12 points for him chandler stevenson jonathan marcheso who averages almost five shots a game right now in the playoffs uh has been an absolute tank ivan barbashev a great pickup for them really good uh, pickup in recent weeks how about michael amadio by the way five points for him uh yeah yeah, uh, Aiden Hill has been serviceable at 219, actually a little bit better numbers than Lauren Bossois, who, of course, is still rehabilitating from injury. Um, and then Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore. I think it's interesting, both of those defensemen, right, not original Vegas Golden Knights by any means. Uh, and, and in some senses, not necessarily uh, expansion draft pickups either. So I think that you look at, I mean... I mean, Shea Theodore, sure, but like you look so at Theodore wasn't original, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but Alex Petrangelo, you know, oh, uh, much right. different story and what they've brought to the table here. So, uh, and this Vegas team, by the way, um, sits number one in terms of their production 41 goals for, 33 goals against, a 3 7, 3 goals for, and a 3 goals against. Uh, power play just under 18%, not the greatest PK at 60%, but uh, uh, good face-off winning percentage, and they're putting a lot of pucks on net. So um, they are giving up quite a bit, though, too, which would be they interesting are. to see. Um, whichever team comes out of this, Dallas or Seattle, is a great defensively-minded team with a little bit of offensive punch, both those teams. Uh, it's going to be a much different series than the Edmonton series. Let's just put it that way. Vegas is going to have to play a good 200 foot game and they're going to have to bring the firepower in terms of production here. Uh, What do you like about the Vegas golden Knights, regardless of who they get Dallas or Seattle, as we're in the waning moments of that one, uh, what do you like about them and what makes you a little bit nervous about them? So for Vegas and and you talked about Jack Eichel and his production, I will tell you this for those who've watched Jack Eichel, what's even probably more impressive than his production is how good he's been on his defensive zone, uh, especially when he was paired up with McDavid over the past couple of games, uh, blocking shots, going back and stripping pucks, uh, just making really good puck management decisions. To me, he has been a 200 foot playoff performer for the golden Knights. Uh, To me, even strength Vegas, they're, they're one of the better teams at five on five. Uh, granted, I, I think the PK numbers, yeah, they're not good. But I think they're skewed when you're going up against Edmonton. Let's, let's be honest. Uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, one thing that scares me about Vegas is if, we, if you take a look at the first 20 minutes of last night's game, they looked, shall we say, not engaged. To, to mm-hmm. put it lightly, and the fact that they came out, scored, I think, what, the first 17 seconds of the game, then gave up quickly two goals uh, in a minute and 29 seconds combined to be down 2-1. To me, uh, they've got to play a full 60-minute game. To me, sometimes I've seen them have lapses in their game, but when they play their game where they get the puck below the red line, when they cycle, when they possess it, um, that fourth line uh, will, will carry a, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Teddy Bluger, and then... Uh, uh, would Keegan Colasar be in that Keegan Colasar, yep, he yeah. would be. Uh, that's one of the best fourth lines uh, that's out there for, for, for playoff hockey teams that are left. So uh, they kind of turned the tides in the second period and were able to uh, recapture that in March or so. Holy cow, a natural hat trick. Uh, and, how, and how about some of these unsung guys too, like Zach Whitecloud, for example. Think about two and a half years ago, he wasn't even remotely like an NHL regular, essentially, in some no. senses, like... No, and, and that's the thing, right, is, you know, the one thing that's really great about seeing the cup playoffs is you get these sort of unsung heroes uh, because, again, we talk about all the time, right, your, your top-end performers, especially the offensive side, they're going to see, you know, the best shutdown units, you know, of the of the opposition so that it allows guys like 
shall we say, Zach Whitecloud, uh, guys like for Florida, you know, like a Carter Verhage, uh, to kind of emerge from the soil, right, and to be able to have that free and open space uh, that maybe the counterparts like Sasha Barkov just don't, right? So it, it's it's cooler because you get, you know, these are the guys. I mean, what was it last year? It was, it was Valerie Nechuskin for Colorado, right? You know, it wasn't the big name guys, but Nechuskin and you could even argue Nazem Kadri, who has a namesake to himself too, but, you know, they carried that Colorado team to a Stanley Cup victory and, and raising uh, the cup there in game six against Tampa Bay. So at the end of it, uh, for me, Vegas, you know, again, five on five play is their strength, especially when they possess the puck. Uh, but again, consistency and especially being ready to start, man, if that, if Edmonton had gotten another one in the first, they were down three, one, I think we're talking game seven, even tonight. Uh, to me, the consistency in their game just has to be there. Cause remember they got throttled. What was it? Game four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Against Edmonton. So, you know, that to me is what's concerning to me about Vegas is they have times where they look like they're a complete hockey team. And other times it's like, they don't even know they're playing hockey. And that's a concern, especially going into a conference final series. Yeah. They're just a streaky team. Right. I think that that's yeah. the biggest thing. And uh, looking at this right now, the stars lead the crack in two, nothing with 27 seconds left in this that's one. So, so I would say, say that we're we're pretty close to this so regardless though seattle or dallas it looks like it's going to be dallas it's both dallas. of those both of those teams i uh, you know we talk about bringing a consistent game it's not like those teams get readily outplayed i think the one outlier was game two in that last series between dallas and seattle but other than that it's been real tight checking as far as that goes uh both of these clubs why don't we start with dallas because it seems like they're going to be the likely one here i uh, you know Great offensive punch, good depth, uh, and good defensive play, and a world-class goaltender. What do you like about them? What makes you nervous if they match up against the Golden Knights? Uh, I, I like Dallas's attack. Uh, and again, you know, it's you know they know that a game is, is final now, so we we can say it. Uh, it's going to be the Dallas Stars. Uh, obviously, goaltending is their big strength with Jake Ottinger. Now he, he has shown a little bit of, shall I say, being human here in the second round. Uh, but then again, I think at times, too, the defensive structure in front of Dallas has also failed them at times. Um, Dallas can sometimes, with their active D, uh, shall we say, get a little pinch happy uh, and allow some odd man breaks against uh, their own goaltender. But here's the thing about Dallas. When you've got 38-year-old Joel Pavelski that still can come back from a concussion, score four goals, can tip pucks, he plays a 200-foot game. <laughs> Holy cow, right? I mean... I'm, like, I'm I'm laughing because there's 17 seconds left and the Kraken just scored. So oh, well, okay, <laughs> 17 seconds at the all, end of, Oliver Bu- Oliver Bjorkstrand, by the way. Yeah. So yeah, well, <laughs> hey, pinch, pinch pinch me if they tie it because yeah, that would be something. Um, I'm warming but, up the car now. I pretty much yeah, <laughs> warm up the bus anyway. But no, to me Dallas, I mean that's. Partly with they, they they generate so much in the rush. They're a speedy team, and again, you talk about their depth, right? We talked about Pavelski, how about Wyatt Johnson, Rope, hence uh, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan have all seen kind of resurgence this year under Pete DeBoer. His first round to go with the Dallas Stars, and it has kind of opened up the game for him. And you talk about a guy like Miro Haskin in the back end, right? Just a, and then a Harley, right? A, kind of a younger defenseman who stepped up. He's like he's looked really really good, uh, you know, for Dallas this year. Uh, you talk about balance, right? There's no question to me that Dallas is the more probably deeper team um, on paper. The thing is, is for Dallas, um, 
and to me is, you know, we've seen what happens when they've got good defensive structure. Jake Ottenshare will stop most pucks all day. There's no question about it. But the times where they've been a little bit shaky, especially when they allow guys to kind of stand in front of the crease, that seems to disrupt them a little bit. Uh, So to me, that's sort of, you know, shall I say the Achilles heel of Dallas is if you put bodies in front of Jake Ottinger and just, you know, attract attention in front of the blue paint. Uh, it just doesn't allow them to be as aggressive defensively as I think they'd like to be. Um, and that creates, uh, you know, shall we say, some open ice for guys like, say, Theodore, uh, guys who can walk them like Alec Martinez, who are really good at getting pucks through, uh, you know, what's not count out Petrangelo, too. So it's an interesting series, but uh, you're not laughing at me yet. So that means that Seattle did not tie this hockey game. Wow, there's nine seconds. This is like, this has the feeling of like a basketball game, does it not? There's nine yeah. seconds left. So I'm assuming that somebody has a face- fourth timeout already. Yeah, someone has a face off. Yeah. And yeah, um, which makes me feel like, though, if we're getting this kind of stoppage, I'm guessing either Dallas, Ice the Puck, or the Kraken have an offensive zone draw in some capacity. So Probably. Um, yeah. isn't, it, isn't it fun trying to figure out? How a hockey game is going strictly from the box score and flow of play? It's impossible. <laughs> it well, really I is. mean, I mean, you're you're allowed to follow the, the game summary because they do have a, a game flow summary essentially. But um, don't they realize that people don't read anymore? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been practicing, and that's also can can our listeners and viewers tell that we're trying to stall for time because we're having this basketball style. I think they've known that for some time here. End to this. Um, I think regardless, Seattle and Dallas have a very similar style of play. So regardless of who it is, uh, do you have a, a, a team in mind? Is it Vegas or is it not Vegas? And how many games? Uh, to me, honestly, I think oh, we are final now. So the Stars did win two to one. I think Dallas takes this one in six. Um, I'm with you on Dallas. I like the Stars game. It's just a complete game. It is. Um, and, and again, like Vegas, it, to me, yeah, they're great, but they're when they're good, when they're on, they're on, right? They're they're tough to contend with. But again, we talked about some inconsistencies with them. Dallas, they've had a few lapses here and there, but it haven't been, shall we say, to the levels of extreme that we've seen with Vegas. Um, and to me, I just think there's more ways of attack that Dallas can bring at you. I really do. And uh, yeah. minus Petrangelo trying to you know saw somebody's arm off, uh, a.k.a. Leon Dreisaitl, uh, should be fine and as long as, I guess, Suter's and give any cross checks we'll be fine too. three points for him in the series but look at these guys rupe hints robertson max domi uh 18 12 11 points pavelski and jamie ben with 10 how about joe pavelski his four goal yeah. effort that one night that was unreal miro heiskin and paces defense with nine points along with tyler sagan dadana marchman thomas harley like you mentioned uh contributors up and down this dallas stars lineup uh the stars of course along with the kraken sit f- um fifth and fourth respectively uh in terms of production here 45 goals for the best in the NHL for the Dallas Stars, 39 goals against. Uh, and uh, as far as the PK, 83%, so not terrible. Power play percentage just under 33%. This is a dangerous Dallas Stars team on both sides of special teams here. Uh, you each their 2020 conference final. Yeah, and they are all... They are also a league best faceoff percentage, 57.5%. So, uh, yeah. yeah, they are good in the dot, too. This is a very well oiled machine. And oh, did I mention they have probably a guy who might win the Vesna within the next five years in Lakefield native, yeah. Jake, Jake Ottinger? Um, I like the stars here, Nick. I, and I think you, you too. do too. It's just, I, I think Vegas, they're a good team, but there's just, there's little pockets of inconsistencies that Dallas really hasn't shown. They've had small flourishes. I think game six, first period the other night, of course, game number two as well too. But like by and large, 
uh, you know, maybe one lapse against Minnesota in game number three. But other than that, I mean, it hasn't really been, you know, series breaking back breaking efforts. No. Uh, Vegas has had a topsy trophy ride. I expect Dallas um, to continue the Norm Greenism and have success away from Minnesota. Yeah, and uh, let's put it this way, whether it's Florida or whether it's Carolina, if it is Dallas, they've got their hands full because uh, right now the four teams that are left, I think Dallas, if we're going to go one through four, probably right now is number one on most people's books. You know, it, I hate to I hate to say it too. It It's nice to see that Seattle didn't go all the way. I think it would have been hard for a lot of franchises to swallow if a team like that does go all the way. We talked about with Vegas too, which Vegas is now, you know, in year six or whatever, but it's like, um, you know, and even then it's a little bit hard to pallet. So I hate to say it, but you almost hope that Dallas is the team that comes out of that conference final, just for the sake of the fact they've been there before they've won a cup in 99, like, you know, versus the expansion franchise, which, which cloud are you, are you yelling at again? Uh, the white cloud. Zach oh. white cloud. Um, <laughs> did you, did you hear about that? By the way, the, uh, the reference yeah. that, yeah, that broadcaster did. called him toilet paper. Oh boy. Yikes. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, it's not even, it's not even a, good one like yeah it wasn't even like yeah but it's kind of i mean not to say every last name is like this but it's like a a five second google search would have given you a very good inclination of what his last name means like just yeah um anyway or just you know you don't have to be a a d-i-c-k but anyway yeah so so that's the thing is we're thinking dallas and we're thinking florida which would be a monumentally intriguing stanley cup final by everything below 30 gets parallel that's interesting that's insane (laughs) yeah be a very very warm stanley cup final that's when is the last time we've had two franchises that have been like totally southern franchises make a stanley cup final who did the kings Uh, play in 12 and 14 who did they play Kings play New Jersey in 12 and the Rangers in 14. Yeah. So it's been, I I don't know that we've ever had a. What about Anaheim in 2007? They had Ottawa. That's right. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know that we've ever had a. San Jose and Nashville was probably the closest. San Jose never. Oh, sorry. San Jose Pitt. Yeah. San Jose Pitt. Yeah. It's been a hot minute. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think. I mean, because Tampa Bay would have, I guess. Tampa Bay, Dallas, technically, technically, yeah, the, but it, but it was in Edmonton. It was, yeah, it was the the COVID year, but that would have been just in a normal sense. This is this is going to be fun yeah. though. I mean, Vegas obviously has been the team that's had the most consistency, along with maybe Carolina. But like, there's some new players in the mix. I think that's exciting for the National Hockey League and the chance to have some maybe not so well known markets have success. I think this is going to be a fun final ride to the finish. It is, and I think that's why we love the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? As you have, you know, a team like Boston who, you know, comes in guns a blazing and you know sets regular season records, and you know, there's there's no safe card, right? You you all punch the same ticket. You got to earn your ticket to the next mm-hmm. round, and you know, again, Toronto they advanced around technically, although they wouldn't probably say that they did. Um, Boston again going down. Uh, you know, there's been some shall I'm not always say surprises, right? But uh, shall we say uh, some interesting? How about you know, and the Rangers going down, right? Teams who made big moves and big pushes at the trade deadline, uh, going all in and just they didn't get this, you know, the results that they wanted. So this has been fun, right? And again, for Florida, uh, especially that franchise has been shall we say cursed for a while. Um, to see them have this much success, you kind of really hope it reinvigorates, it reinvigorates that franchise. And I think we both. 
you know, we gave Arizona a lot of crap, but we kind of hope, I think, internally that the Tempe Arena goes into play because then in theory, if they're if they're really going to say true their word, right, that now they're going to get the revenue, they can start spending. And there's some decent pieces in that in uh, in that system where they could have a quick rise, um, you know, to shall we say playoff stardom if if they play their cards like over the next three four years. I don't know, man. Like it's possible. So yeah, like you said, it's been a while. Um, a while. Why are you putting so much emphasis on the age? Um, with that being said. Of course, quick. <laughs> um, we will be emphasizing, of course, the Stanley Cup playoffs starting round three in the next couple of days. Show release probably either Monday or Tuesday, um, maybe Wednesday morning at the latest with that recording, depending on how everything shakes out. Week after that will likely coincide with the end of the conference finals, start of the Stanley Cup final as well. Of course, men's worlds, we're going to pay attention to that. Quarterfinals begin in a week and a half on May 25th, so keep an eye on that as well. For Nick Maxson, I am Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the day. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Still Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.